Please be warned. This podcast contains lewd language, slapstick violence, and general buffoonery. Listener discretion is wholeheartedly encouraged. Hello, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Season 1 of Art Frat Rejects Write a Murder Mystery. My name's Sophia Hotung. And I'm I... Huber. <laughs> oh, we're just fighting for the spotlight. Huber, you can go first because you're my favorite. Okay. Um, I'm Huber Rodriguez Tejada. And I am the second favorite, Veronica Grace Talion. Great. Veronica, how do we know each other? So we met back when we were in college in New York City. We all worked at the same university newspaper in the same section. We bonded over, you know, late nights. Um, and then, then we suddenly became disgraced from our newspaper. And so we were bored, we had nothing to do, and we just sat down and thought, hey, why don't we write a fun murder mystery? And so Art Frat Rejects was born. We got through chapters 13, I believe, um, that year, and then we took a break when we all graduated. But Huber, we're here now, aren't we? We are. After college, we all started doing our own thing. But once the pandemic started hitting, we were stuck in the house, just like bored out of our minds. But we all remember that we wrote these chapters and we have this podcast. And so we just decided to first re-record the original 13 episodes that we wrote in college and just continue the story from there. And the rest is history. This is going to be the third time we record episode one, chapter one, because we recorded it when I first wrote it in 2018. We recorded it in June of 2020 when we started the podcast again. And now so much has happened. This has kind of become bigger than we thought it would be. At first, this was like an odd hobby. And now we're having a proper launch of it and everything. So we thought we've written the whole goddamn book. Let's do our first episode with all the hindsight we have. And let's do it right. Let's kick it off to a good start. So we have some rules. We wrote this murder mystery without conferring, without editing, without planning. Everything is a reaction to the last chapter or the chapters before it. And we're not allowed to have any meetings about what we're going to do next, which makes it very good, fun, <laughs> not good writing, and very, <laughs> yeah, and not so good quality, but very, very exciting because we each have our own way of dealing with things. Veronica is very literary. She is a scholar. She is very true to the craft of fiction. And she is hellbent on winning the competition that we have for ourselves, which I'll talk about more later. I'm going to wipe you guys out. Just you wait. Okay. All right. Um, Cuba, meanwhile, is a doctor. Well, no, what are you? You're a, do you're a medical student. I'm a student doctor, as they say. You're a student doctor. And, um, and we call him Dr. Rod. So he brings in a lot of the medical aspects to the murder mystery, but he's also a little kinky bastard. So <laughs> we, get a little, we get a little sexy in humorous chapters. And, and I'm just here for a good time. No, I, so feel like I, like so to... I feel like Sophia is the best at actually like throwing in the twist and giving this some momentum <laughs> and suspense. Like she makes it a good story. But when her chapters come around, you always know that whatever you had planned and 
you know, going you know, through the chapters in the past. It's all going to be thrown up uh, into the air and you can just forget about anything you had planned working out well. So she's great oh, in no. that respect. I like try to fix it and I just ruin it. Yeah. <laughs> it's for fun. It's great. It's great. Oh God, I can think of so many examples of this, but okay, I'm not going to spoil it. Great. So that's us. One final rule we have that we're just going to touch upon is because we write chapter by chapter, it goes me, Huber, Veronica in cycles. We are allowed to contribute a tiny bit to influence the chapters we don't write. And that means that one of us always contributes a line of speech or dialogue to a chapter we're not writing or a phrase that is used in the prose. So because I wrote this chapter, Huber contributed a line, I believe, and Veronica contributed a phrase. Would you like to share them for the group? The prosaic phrase I have contributed was sweet cinnamon cucumber buns. And the line that I proposed was I saw it coming like a train in the night. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 indeed. Whenever we use these lines, Huber likes to shout ding, 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 which has encouraged us over the episodes to also shout ding, ding, ding. We encourage you at home, commuting, in bed, with a lover, alone, to also shout ding, ding, ding when you hear the phrases. And the phrases brings us on to our final note. We have a competition, the aforementioned competition that Veronica is sure she will win. I'm going to be so embarrassed if I don't win. I know. Okay, so the prize of the competition is you get to name the book. We haven't actually named the novel yet. Whoever wins this competition gets to name it and they get to start season two. The way to win is every cycle we do, and we call a cycle every time each of us write a chapter. So it's three chapters equals a cycle. Every cycle we do, we have a case files episode. And in that episode, we talk about conspiracy theories and we read fan mail. We talk to each other about what's going on, but we also vote. And that's when we decide who wrote the best chapter of the cycle, who gave the best dramatic performance of a character and who crowbarred in those contributions the most seamlessly <laughs> uh, listen to this podcast if you want to vote you can always vote on our facebook and on our website so that you can determine who names the murder mystery novel which we would probably end up selling who knows should we sell the book once it's named i don't think i think it should be burned <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean we can't it could use some editing, but after that, we can sure we can put it in a jacket and sell it. If people are stupid enough to buy it, that's their own fault. Okay, okay, we'll put a pin in that. But anyways, we should get started with chapter one. I'm as excited as I was the very first time we read it. Chapter one. Welcome to Mole Town. <laughs> I'm sorry, even like after writing a whole book set in this town, like it's, uh, the the name is so silly. It never loses its, <laughs> it's shine. So okay. We have to, at least at one point, go into like the etymology of this. Like what is Mole Town? No, there's a reason behind it being called Mole Town, but it's a very convoluted reason that we're not going to get into right now because we're not even in the first sentence of the book. You told me to have dialogue. I know, but, but we need to, we need to meter it out. <laughs> okay. Okay, so nobody say anything for like one paragraph. <laughs> oh, I was going to say something for the fact that I mentioned the bats that descend, but then never come back. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Oh my God. Okay, so I'll say the first sentence so we can involve a listener. 
Bats had never descended upon Moletown until the evening of August 19th. It was a Thursday, a bleak Thursday, a Thursday that had brought with it a drizzling rain that neither drenched passers-by nor ruined plans, but still rendered the air thick with haze, mist, and discomfort. We never brought up the bats again. A sequel. A spin-off. There is time yet. Okay. Veronica, are you going to write a sequel if you win? Or are you going to just, like, do a whole new thing? Please do a whole new thing. I'm so sick of Moletown. No, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so tired of Moletown. I mean, Moletown was great, but Moletown has been with us for over two I years. I am done with it. The whole of 2018, the whole of 2019, the whole of 2020. We're done! Uh, okay. All right, first Jesus. paragraph. Jesus. Second paragraph. Here we go. It's God, been three years. Great. <laughs> it had been established early in the summer that Signor Romanzo's House of Wonders was not the most enjoyable place to be on a Saturday night, or on a Thursday night, or on any night, or afternoon, or morning for that matter. <laughs> The hall of- so it just wasn't it, it wasn't enjoyable to be around. No, no, not enjoyable. Yeah, that's not why are we yeah, here. Why are we bothering? Why are we here then? <laughs> the hall of mirrors was easy to navigate. The roller coaster tame. The bumper cars had a propensity to stop and go completely on their own accord. Games were rigged. The fun of the fairground was not present at Signor Romanzo's. And you know what? This line. <laughs> has me thinking now after the fact we never touched the, there are ghosts here like bumper cars yeah, moving on their own it sounded ghosty didn't it and it, it just never became ghosty <laughs> yeah we could have done honestly a lot more with the carnival angle I mean I'm not saying that what we ended up going with is like not interesting because it is um, but you set us up here for like a really spectral kind of carnival-esque environment and we just we didn't go with it you just blew right past it. Yeah, I, know, I think it's fault. because neither of you were actually listening when we read this the first time. <laughs> that could be fair. <laughs> this episode, the next, the next chapter is just completely... <laughs> well, it's one of those things where you're reading it and you're so focused on like reading it well that you don't really take in anything of what you say. Yeah, so. it's like when you're asked to read from the textbook in school and you're so worried about messing up, you never actually absorb what you've read. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I pretty much have this memorized by now, so yeah, I, I, I'm so get, my times. lines are going to go great. <laughs> okay, Veronica's ready to snatch that Oscar and snatch the competition award. Okay. The caravans that had rolled up in May with lions, tigers, contortionists painted on the sides parked themselves along the concrete outskirts of the carnival. The still rides, lights now shut off, teetered and swayed in the wind. The merry-go-round creaked in its clockwise momentum, slow and staggering, lurching and rattling the plastic reins of its dead-eyed stallions. That is a lot of verbs in one sentence. I mean, is it too soon to go into VG tips? I'm just, I'm sorry, that's just a lot of, <laughs> that's just a lot of verbs for one sentence. VG Tips for the listener is a, um, a creative writing segment Veronica does where she critiques the writing and provides feedback for us to take into the next episode. Um, we're very bad at writing and we, I don't think we ever improve, do we? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Which is a shame considering two of us are aspiring writers. Guess what's true. <laughs> it could be worse. It could be worse. A soft hum emanated from one of the caravans and smoke rose from a small exhaust pipe protruding from the corner of a cracked window. Inside, Signor Romanzo boiled a pot of canned noodle soup over his stovetop. 
He had never cleaned the stovetop. Oh my god, this is so boring and unnecessary to talk about. Nor the bottom of the... I think it says a lot about his character. So just listen closely, oh, yeah. dear reader. It, you will learn a lot about him. It's like showing what he's telling. about to do with this suit. Exactly. Well, I mean, this is a, this is a lot of telling, but, <laughs> you know, still, still. So keep going. But still, okay, you can still glean a lot. Okay. You can still glean a lot. I also just realized no one knows why it's called VG Tips. Veronica's name, which you'll hear us call her a lot. We never really call her Veronica. We call her VGT, which are her initials and hence VG Tips. So just needed to throw that out there for that to make sense. There are a lot of inside jokes we'll let you in on throughout the show. He had never cleaned the stovetop nor the bottom of the saucepan in which the soup boiled. Both were thick with black oil that had accumulated over the years while on the road. Humming to himself an old song he had heard from a Lithuanian music box his mother had kept in her boudoir back home, he watched bubbles form on the sides and surface of his soup, stirring occasionally with a tarnished silver spoon. I've just realized his mother's Scottish. We establish this later, so I don't know why she ended up with a Lithuanian music box. <laughs> who is this? I don't even remember who is. Henrietta's his mother, the Scottish mechanic. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay, well, his father could have been... Isn't his father Russian in the end? Oh my god. Oh. <laughs> oh my god, it's so bad. It's so bad. By the way, if you want to refer to the characters, um, you can go on our website where there are caricatures of everyone. And I think the mother, Henrietta, has a very, very good caricature, if I do say so myself. Um, so check that out on the website, artfratrejects.com. Okay, here we go. Okay, so he's stirring occasionally and singing the song. <clears throat> Diamanta ira mergates geriusias draugas. He sang. Three years later, ha- I'm sorry, but three years later, has anyone actually put that into Google Translate to make sure we're saying it right? <laughs> oh my god. That's a really good point. <laughs> the answer is Wait, no. I'm- I'm going to do that. That's a really good point. Oh, wow. wow. BGT. Oh, it recognized Lithuanian. That's good. So, wait, mm. Veronica, do you remember what... Wait, no. Huber, do you remember what the English is? Oh, is it Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend or something? It is! Yeah. You didn't remember the second time we recorded? Oh. Okay, wait. Um. Oh, my God. I know why we never checked, because I've just tried to look it up. It says... Voice output isn't available in Lithuania. Oh. <laughs> oh, well, if we have any fun uh, Lithuanian uh, viewers or listeners, I suppose they're going to have to come on and uh, critique us right to our segment, To the Proprietor, which also comes on on Case Files. Yes, To the Proprietors when we read fan mail and have guests on. So if you know Lithuanian, better yet, if you're a native Lithuanian speaker with a very, very native accent, we'd love to have you on to sing and tell us if we're singing it incorrectly, which we're probably not. Okay, here we go. His voice was sonorous, booming, as it had to be to run a carnival such as his. He recalled how his father had commanded the circus tent that used to go up in every town they encountered, how as a boy he had peeped from the curtains and watched his father hypnotize Petruchio the lion. He also recalled how Petruchio would later gorge on his father one night as if he were a cracker. <laughs> we should have we should have got into that. Yeah. It's just so strange. The thing is we just it's so bizarre. We, we put out so many buns. Like we couldn't paddy all the buns we put out. So there are just all these loose ends hanging about. Okay. 
crumbling his bones into white powder so that the sands of the circus ring in his body were undifferentiated in a bloody haze. Oh, wow. The soup seemed hot enough now. Oh, Signor Romanzo turned off the stove and both his and its humming stopped. He carried the saucepan over to his small dressing table where his faux mustaches hung. His face paints were precariously balanced. His wig, his pomades, his lotions and ointments and so on cluttering the tabletop. He pushed them to the side, some toppling and spilling, spraying dust and powders across the old teak surface, Jesus, I'm long-winded, to make room for his lonely supper. The ringmaster breathily slurped, using the same... (laughs) Veronica does not like mouth sounds, (laughs) and I try to include them often. Using the same silver spoon he had cooked with and wincing at the heat that scalded his tongue. You know, I'm realizing that... Singer Romanzo is really like a sad character. Like this is a sad scene. It, or or it's like the origins of a serial killer. Yeah. He sounds like completely self-obsessed, but also like gross. Yeah, he sounds you know? disgusting. And he literally imagine thinking about your father getting mauled by a lion while cooking chicken noodle soup. And humming. <laughs> He's literally got no empathy. Well, Hubert, I was going to say in the beginning, you sounded very doctorly, you know, shining an empathetic light onto this very dislikable character, but then you went the complete negative route. <laughs> so I take it back. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, now's probably a good time to shout out that Hubert also has a segment on Case Files called Paging Dr. Rod, where Dr. Rodriguez Tejada takes us through the more medical aspects of each cycle. So maybe this chapter could have a psychological bend. Yeah, definitely. A mind hunter bend. Yeah, dissect this character for us. I can definitely psychoanalyze. <laughs> I was a psych miner. Realizing <laughs> the oily bottom of the saucepan had fused itself slightly to the papers on the tabletop. He lifted the pan and peeled them from the documents, sighing as they were rendered ripped and stained in the separation. Okay. My big moment. We've got a letter. To the proprietor. It has come to the attention (laughs) of the esteemed board of the district of suburban Moletown that your establishment has ignored the past three requests to move along from the outskirts of Moletown. Taking the debris and litter your affairs have caused with you and in disposing of it responsibly and appropriately. We pride ourselves on being a safe community and employ a neighborhood watch system that has become more and more active since your establishment's arrival. (laughs) Since you have arrived, as we have already explained in our previous letters, we have received nine reports of theft, eight reports of misplaced keys, four reports of stolen bicycles, one broken headlight on a nearby highway, and three children have thrown to run away to join your establishment as a town that prides itself on a high 67% admittance rate to out-of-state or local community colleges, you understand why this last is particularly troubling. (laughs) We ask that you... Dot, dot, dot. Signor Romanzo stopped reading. (laughs) Wait, sorry. The, the, The examples of the crime she uses are wonderful uh, what is it three misplaced keys eight misplaced keys oh like jeez oh my god what happened to the keys <laughs> no eight reports of misplaced keys so probably more than just eight keys were misplaced 
If the average key ring has three oh keys and eight sets of them were misplaced, that's 24 lost keys. Where did all of them go? At the carnival. No one ever reintroduced <laughs> the idea of the misplaced keys back into the story. A shame. A shame. <laughs> well, we have some We have some reports of theft, though, coming up, so that's something to look out for. Oh, true, yes. But you know what? Up. What never brought up again? In, like, chapter two, one of the chapters I wrote, I brought this letter back and we can cut this out but <laughs> i brought this letter back and i said that there were like hundreds of these letters like under the floorboards in clara's room <laughs> i remember this but then <laughs> after you brought it back no one no one was like oh that was nice huber brought this back let's work with it no it just sort of popped up was weird and then like dissolved again like so many things in our oh books. my god i love that about us fantastic <laughs> guys stick around it's a, it's so great even though it doesn't it <laughs> you never know what's going to be important i think that's the main thing <laughs> We show, and I the answer is probably nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but every now and then, the smallest thing that you completely forgot about is the thing that takes it all the way. So, so good luck guessing what the thing is going to be. <laughs> God. Okay. Senor Romanzo stopped reading. Gypsies, travelers, wanderers, foreigners, nomads, transients. Really used my thesaurus there. And they all mean more or less the same thing you could get rid of all of them you could get rid of them save us on the word count yeah They're the same thing <laughs> it's because this first chapter i really didn't know what we were going to do so i just wanted to like leave breadcrumbs everywhere for you guys to pick up and at the end of the day you guys made a whole different <laughs> loaf of bread and didn't pack it anyway <laughs> I think all three of us made, like, I made sourdough, you made rye. <laughs> Mine was gluten-free. <laughs> That's on brand. Um, I have celiac. Oh, sorry, yes. <laughs> I was going to say, you know what this reminds me? It reminds me of in Riverdale when Jughead, shout out, shout out to Riverdale and the listeners, when Jughead goes, I'm an outcast. I'm a weirdo. <laughs> I don't fit in. <laughs> oh, my God. That's in your romanzo. That's in your romanzo. Like, I'm a gypsy. I'm a traveler. <laughs> I'm a wanderer. I'm a foreigner. It's like, okay, we get it. I'm a nomad. Oh my God, shut him up. I'm a transient. Never wanted or accepted by the local towns. <laughs> that should be Senor Romanzo's voice from now on. I mean, I know we have, what, tw- 29 episodes of him recorded with a Slavic accent, but... <laughs> Veronica, you just know my Slavic accent kills. I'm going to win a lot of, like, good actor awards, and you don't want me to win, so I'm going to keep going honestly, with my Senor Romanzo. Honestly, yes. <laughs> Never wanted or accepted by the local towns Signor Romanzo's House of Wonders bestowed joy upon, he had been roaming his whole life. He pondered how his mother and father had met. They had been in the... Oh, this isn't true in the end. I changed this later. Oh, Jesus. Uh-oh. <laughs> they had been in the circus circuit their whole lives. Not true. Back when the House of Wonders had real animals besides the gaudy ones painted on the sides of the caravans, his mother, Henrietta, was a Scottish mechanic and had introduced the rides, starting small with little merry-go-rounds, then getting more adventurous, building train carts from abandoned tracks along the side of old railroads, then becoming so advanced in her architecture that she built water slides, water trains, the water roller coaster. 
that would eventually drown her and give her whiplash simultaneously. Oh, no. <laughs> what a long-ass sentence. That sentence is half the paragraph. Also, when you said that, you made it clear that Henrietta was Scottish. I thought you meant, like, in a later chapter. I didn't... <laughs> yeah, literally, it's like... the same chapter. A page later, I forget <laughs> that she's not Lithuania. Oh, my goodness. Okay. It was a fair assessment to say that the employees and individuals involved, brackets, or trapped, in <laughs> That kind of turned out to be true. They kind of were trapped, remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We picked up on that. Well done, guys. Okay. <laughs> we or trapped in Signor Romanzo's House of Wonders were privy to death, more privy than had they stayed at home to be telemarketers or sales representatives or stay-at-home mothers or PR executives. Besides Petruchio making Romanzo Sr. a meal and Mrs. Henrietta Romanzo gasping for air while hurtling forward in a water buggy on a rusty train track in Wichita, Signor Romanzo has seen Caleb Munkatussen. Oh, keep an eye out for that name. Yep, Caleb Munkatussen, he's important. An adolescent rogue from Cleveland who had joined back in the 90s go hurtling off a flying swing, still strapped into his seat when the Chain broke. Oh my goodness. He recalls how Eleanor Sphinx. <laughs> Remember her too, she's important. A middle-aged runaway mother from Virginia had gone up in smoke the summer of 2003 while cooking in the now charred Caravan 4. Oh my god. How, oh my god, she was a contortion. Oh my god, I forgot about about this. And how the acrobatic contortionist, Countess Wellington of Wellington. Do you, wait, did you remember she was a contortionist? I did. I thought she was. I thought she Absolutely was just like not. Senor Romanzo's, you know, ringmaster I, partner or something. Yeah, I thought yeah. she was like a madam, like like a pimp, but <laughs> a carnival pimp. A pimp. <laughs> oh, I mean, she kind of was a pimp. <laughs> oh, she yeah, that's the thing. But she wasn't. She was never a contortionist after this. Oh well. And how the acrobatic contortionist, Countess Wellington of Wellington, had been shot in the back nine times, having escaped the county jail one winter. She had been arrested for stealing candlesticks from the local church. But Signor Romanzo was confident they had been planted under her bed by an old foe or mysterious nemesis of hers. The first time we read this, we were just so confused. Like, why would somebody plant church candles on her? And why was the punishment so severe? Exactly. It was just so, like, mind-boggling. It's me being like, oh shit, I've written such a long, boring intro. Time to create some intrigue. Ooh, what's high stakes? Ooh, church candles. Candlesticks. Wax. I'm gonna cry. Honestly, that's really fucking funny. Oh my god. Thank you. It wasn't meant to be. Okay. It was meant to be dramatic, I guess. The funniest bits are when I'm trying to be good at writing and it's just crap. Okay. Uh, Who was left now but five carnival hands and himself? A lonely bachelor, left to live out his increasingly solitary days on the open Midwestern roads. See, Midwestern, it's dip. not Midwestern. Yeah, but at that time we didn't know where this was set. We didn't pick Pacific Northwest. <laughs> but why didn't we pick somewhere in the Midwest? I think at the time I was really into like Oregon Trail. So when you were like, what state are they in? I was like, Oregon. <laughs> the, the computer game? Yes. 
Did they, uh, then why did 2004 fame? Then I'm surprised none of them like died from diphtheria or their wagon tipping over. You know, like in the computer Maybe game. You just weren't good at the game. It's a really hard. You're game. just not good at the game, BGT. <laughs> it's a, yeah, hard it is game. a hard game. Yeah, I remember when um I played it in the fourth grade. And it was like the last day of school in computer class and we were allowed to play computer games. And our teacher, Mrs. Mack, I think her name was, she was like, okay, you can play this game. It's called Oregon Trail. And I loved it. But in the fifth grade, you stopped having computer class. So I remember the last day of school being like, oh my God, what if I never play this game in my life again? It's so fun. But what if I never ever play it ever again? And you know what? I never played it again. Oh, well, that's a sad story. What a terrible story. That's a sad story. (laughs) You brought down the whole mood of this podcast. (laughs) And we were already talking about death and being a lonely bachelor with increasingly solitary days on the open Midwestern roads. Are you Senor Romanzo? Oh my God. (laughs) They say, write what you know, guys. Increasingly solitary days on the open Midwestern roads, waiting for death to seize him the way it had done for his father his mother, the young Caleb, the kindly Eleanor, the vivacious Countess. Only 11 caravans of the magnificent original 25 now remained, most carrying parts of the rides, the scratched mirrors of the original once famous hall of mirrors that had been the cornerstone of the house. Signor Romanzo lived in caravan number one. Leviticus, the handyman slash henchman slash everyman lived in caravan number two. Caravan number three housed Wilhelmina, a gawky orphan whom the countess had taken under her wing one spring before her <laughs> untimely death. And I just want to say to the readers, when you hear gawky orphan, how old do you think that exactly, is? Exactly. That was what I was about to say. So have that number in your mind <laughs> and then take it into episode two. And we'll see if you're right. We'll see if it matches with what Cuba had in mind. <laughs> because, oh my god. Yeah, okay. I'll just leave it at that. We'll help Cuba, you know what you did. I know what I did. But you know what? Yeah. I remember like the first time we recorded it and I messed up the age, I guess. You were like, she's eight years old, like blah blah blah. And you guys never said that she was eight. Okay, but let me tell you, let me tell you okay, something. But when you say orphan, you think of a child. I know this is a breaking <laughs> of the rules, but before we even sat down to write about this, Sophia said, okay, Veronica, give me a character with a name. And I said, Wilhelmina. She's like, okay, a fortune teller. And we said in that chat, a child fortune teller. We did say that. Hubert does not. Hubert listens to twenty percent of things we say in real life and ten percent of things we say on this podcast. He has no idea what's going on. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Wilhelmina told fortunes in a small blue veil in her caravan, which still reeked of Eleanor's combustion. Oh, <laughs> gross! Lucrece, Eleanor's mute daughter, still inhabited the smoke-smelling caravan number four with her mother's ashes. Brackets now contained in an urn. Thank you for that detail. Well, you know, she burned in the caravan, so I just wanted to be clear that someone had cleaned up the ashes. I think it would have been better if they just left her there. It would have been more in keeping with the overall ambiance of this carnival if she were still just there. Wait, I'm so sorry, but (laughs) caravans one through four, and then number 10, as we'll soon to find out, house people. And so there are seven chains total. So two of them are for all the rides. There are a lot of bits of engineering apparatus needed to set up 
a carnival human. Well, how many how many that's like one ride <laughs> the rides are really big <laughs> Well, there used to be 25 caravans, now there are 11. Oh my God, it sounds like a math problem, doesn't it? <laughs> if there were 25 caravans, but over time due to poor budgeting and... No, it's just it's such a sad little carnival now. That's so That's sad. the point! Oh, right. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Have you not gotten that from the really unnecessary description? Okay. She, and that's Lucrece, Eleanor's mute daughter, served the hot dogs and sweet cinnamon cucumber buns. Ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding, ding. At the confectionery stand. Wow, what a seamless way to crowbar that in. She smiled brightly, but her eyes held a melancholy glaze. Glaze isn't maybe the word I was looking for, but I was thinking of the cucumber buns. (laughs) Maybe it's gaze? I don't know. I think you meant gaze. Well, glaze, yeah, the tears okay. could be okay. the glaze, sure, the okay. optic glaze. It's literary. Bringing up the rear in caravan number 10 was Matthias, the grumpy mechanic who assembled the rides with Leviticus, but did little else when it came to associating with the rest of the troop. He would assemble quickly and skulk back to his caravan, occasionally lurking in the evenings in the shadows of roller coaster tracks and control boxes, before slinking away again. That is creepy. Ooh, Matthias is a fucking creepy guy. If you look at his caricature on the website, he's the oh, guy. He is awful. He's the guy holding the urn with like four hairs coming out of his green scalp. It's disgusting. Ugh. What a fucking creep. Diamanta ira mergates kirius traugas. Romanzo sang to himself as he folded and pocketed the letter, which now joined the similar previous letters from the board of the district of suburban Moletown, BDSM. They would be leaving the area by the end of the month, and hopefully nothing too rash or violent would occur to exacerbate the remainder of their stay. The permits to arrive in any other location that Leviticus had allegedly solicited had not yet arrived, for now they were destitute, adrift, but ashore. That's, so that's the end of that scene. So, scene. Well done, guys. We got through one scene. Okay, very good. And the rest of this has a lot more dialogue, so dialogue is fun. I saw it coming. Wendy Willoughby scowled. Like a train in the night. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. I don't know how seamless that one was, though. I think it's pretty good. I mean, but not to be an- not to be annoying, though. But scowls isn't really a dialogue tag. You can't scowl something. You can scowl, but you can't scowl. Like a dialogue. Danica, safe VG tips for case files. Hubert, go on. <laughs> I'm just saying. Go on, sweetie. Say your next line. <laughs> See what I did there? Go on, sweetie. Alicia Alatoza cajoled her. <laughs> just let it out. She subtly pushed the box of pink Kleenex for her closer to her sniveling friend who swatted them away. <laughs> Wendy looked up slowly, mascara streaming down her face, sitting in her crow's feet. I just don't need this right now! She whimpered. Honey. Alicia cooed, putting her arm delicately around Wendy's cashmered shoulder. Men are just disgusting. When Felix had his affair, I was so, so incensed. Wait, can I just say, later on we call her husband Howard. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, maybe Alicia, maybe this is her first husband. First husband is called Felix. He had an affair and then she married Howard. (laughs) Howard Alatoza comes up later. Oh my goodness. (laughs) 
<laughs> Veronica, because I think like Wendy's like, shut up, Cameron. And he's like, my name is Howard. Or something. <laughs> Not even close to thumb oh counts. <laughs> Maybe Alicia's forgotten his name as well. Maybe she's so, well, we're going to figure out that she's uh, she's got a little beverage with her. Maybe she's drunk. Maybe they're both drunk. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with Alicia's first husband was called Felix. He had an affair and now she's with Howard. That's a fair explanation. Yeah. That's the best way to do it. But you know what? We have each other. You have your girls. And do you know what your girls have? Wendy looked at Alicia impatiently. Pino. Alicia squealed, reaching over to refill their glasses. Wendy's manicured hand reached out and grabbed her friend's wrist. Shut up, Allie! Wendy snapped. Now is not the time for Pino! My beautiful marriage is falling apart! Our beautiful town is going to sugar plums! Nothing is okay, and I'm freaking out! <laughs> Allie fell quiet and folded her hands in her lap. Wendy's nails had dug into her skin. She massaged her wrist and wondered if she could pull the rosehip oil hand cream out of her bag for a quick application. Her cuticles seemed rough. What is rosehip? <laughs> I don't know. I think my mum has some in the car and I've seen it. Mm. So that went in. Is your mom Wendy? <laughs> I think my mom's more of an alley. Mm. She but the ex Wendy's awful. Yeah. And JoJo's not. Is your mom Wendy? Uh, I'm not going to say anything in case she listens. I mean, that's <laughs> slim. That's slim, but just in case. Oh, no. No, then she's you should not probably Wendy say, at no, all. she's not Wendy if you think she's going to listen. <laughs> Moving on. Great. Okay. You mailed the letter, right? Wendy snapped, taking her two middle fingers and scooping under her eyes, wiping away some of the black mess. Yes. Mailed it bright and early yesterday, sweetie. Alicia said, reaching into her handbag hanging on the back of the chair for her hand cream. These cretins. Wendy muttered. Coming into our beautiful neighborhood and just ruining it. Ruining it. Totally. <laughs> you know what Tiffany told me at Pilates yesterday? Wendy said, snatching the hand cream out of Alicia's hand and applying a liberal amount to her own claws. <laughs> oh my god, Wendy's such a bad <laughs> friend. <laughs> She's an awful person. She's flawed. That's what makes her so real. I love her. She's my favorite to yeah, voice. Totally. So. <laughs> she is fun to hear. She said that she saw Angelique's doctor round the back of that godforsaken cardi hole smoking. Can you believe it? They just corrupt children, these people. Just awful. And I don't even want to know if those rides are safe. Wendy drawled on. If one of my children ever stepped near to it, I think I'd have a sheer heart attack. Your boys haven't been, have they? Oh my god, I forgot Alicia Alatosa had sons. Oh my god. <laughs> well, they never come up. Yeah, they never, her daughter comes up, but her sons, we never bring up the sons. Oh no. Your boys haven't been, have they? Oh no, they don't exist. Oh good. <laughs> They're ghosts. <laughs> oh, god. Maybe Wendy's just confused and like thinks it's, it's such a bad friend that thinks that her friend has two sons. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, that's very in character for her, I feel. It's going to come up later that she's very bad at remembering people's names. So Wendy took a long sip. Oh, did you say good? Good. Cool. Good. Um, 
Wendy took a long sip of Pinot Grigio from her heavy-bottomed wine glass and exhaled slowly. She leaned her head back in the chair and ran her fingers through her ginger mom lob. Oh, I forgot she was ginger. I made her blonde in her cartoon. She's blonde in her cartoon. She's got Karen hair. Well, she's got Karen everything. She's a Karen. But she is a Karen. But we wrote this before Karen was even a thing, really, uh, which I think is the remarkable thing about it. It's very prophetic. Guys, did we start Karen? I think it's safe to say that we did. <laughs> All these 40-year-old women just, like, appeared. <laughs> and that's the power of writing. <laughs> we magic them into oh existence, like the magic of the carnival. Magic of the carnival. Oh, my God. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> the end. Uh, just kidding. That was a, great, halfway through. <laughs> that was a yes, great, sto- great story. <laughs> we should pick it. She said almost inaudibly. Alicia laughed. (laughs) Don't be ridiculous, Wendy. What are we, (laughs) protesters? When are we meant to find time to pick it? Wendy bolted upright and began storming up the stairs. No, she said. I'm getting Clara's crap box and we're going to make picket signs and we're going to get the girls and we're going to pick it. Gee darn it. Gee darn it is now a staple of my vocabulary because of Wendy. <laughs> gee darn it. <laughs> I say gee darn it to people who don't, who aren't in on the podcast. So basically everyone. And uh, what is their reaction? They're just like, okay. <laughs> I say a lot of stuff and people are usually just like, okay. But I have the benefit of saying it to Americans who think that, because I'm too American for British people, but I'm too British for American people. So the British people think it's something I picked up in America, which is kind of true. And Americans think it's a British thing. So I'm fine. Oh, I love. Okay. We could say that. Oh, wait. <laughs> I have a question. Isn't picketing when you work there and you like aren't getting yeah. treated fairly? <laughs> yeah, the joke is she doesn't know the difference. Okay. It's like it's like sort of 1940s women outside the sort of munitions factory during World War II demanding fairer wages or something. She's just a very out of touch lady. She's incredibly very out of touch. privileged. Li- yeah, very privileged. Um, so I think that just says a lot about her character. Yeah. Wendy's fluffy slippers stormed scuffily, that's not a word, scuffily up the shag-carpeted staircase to her 16-year-old daughter's bedroom. They had painted the walls when Clara was in utero, a beautiful custard and pink striped pattern, and it had remained that way. I know. Also, what an unnecessary fact. (laughs) Custard. I think that's a reference to Juno, because I really liked the movie Juno, and there's the scene where Jennifer Garner is like, what color should we paint the baby's room? Custard? Or cheesecake. And Jason Bateman's Ew. looking at the wall and they're exactly the same shade of yellow. And he's like, Ugh. anyway, it might be a reference to that. Um, and it had remained that way, despite Clara's protests and requests and offers to even paint the damn walls herself. Wendy entered the room, knocking slightly, but paying no heed to her daughter's response. Clara, sweetie, mommy needs your... <gasps> End scene. End scene. New scene. Here we go. Back to Signor Romanzo. Signor Romanzo's cleaning of his singular soup bowl was interrupted by the heavy, urgent knocking of a gloved fist at the door. Surprised to have guests with gloves so late in the evening. (laughs) My favorite line. Okay. (laughs) He paused a minute and had to wait for another series of repetitive knocks before he stood and answered. 
A burly police officer with leather gloves, a shining black cap, and a German shepherd called Elaine stood on <laughs> stood at the entrance to the caravan. And at this point, we were like, "Is she a German shepherd dog or a shepherd from Germany?" And we never, yeah. And we every single episode, we never figured it out until until like chapter eighteen. We finally give the verdict, and you know what? It will surprise you. <laughs> So keep, hang on until at least chapter <laughs> 18. that's not an incentive to keep listening. <laughs> Signor Romanzo? He asked. Officer? Signor Romanzo replied. <laughs> My name is Inspector Golfini, said Inspector Golfini. I have a warrant to take you into questioning over the murder of Clara Willoughby. Who? Signor Romanzo asked. Please come with me. The ringmaster slammed the caravan door. Inspector Golfini lunged at it, cranked it open, but any trace of Signor Romanzo had vanished. And the chase that Inspector Golfini and Elaine had expected ended as suddenly and as startlingly as Clara Willoughby's life. <laughs> Well, that is the end of chapter one. Welcome to Mole Town. Well, that was the last time, hopefully, we're ever going to friggin' read it. I mean, I have this. This has been burned into my mind. I think we can do it from memory now. That's had never descended upon Mole Town until the evening of August 19th. <laughs> we can do a small play. Jeez. We should celebrate August 19th. August 19th should, should be a yeah, holiday. Yeah, Let's that do should be on August 19th. annual Mole Town Day or something. <laughs> yeah, okay, Mole Town Independence Day. What did they declare independence from? <laughs> from, the, from the carnival, maybe? Clara Willoughby's life. She died. At every- uh, oh, oh. <laughs> or did she? <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Or did she? Or did she? Ah. <laughs> also, considering this is meant to be a murder mystery and the name of the show is Art Fret Rejects Write a Murder Mystery, very little time is spent focusing on solving Clara's murder. It just becomes a much greater conspiracy theory, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. It is a brilliant story to those of you who enjoyed this first chapter and are excited to come back next Saturday for the next one. And if you're not, I really understand. No, no. <laughs> you, you don't say that. Yours is the next chapter. <laughs> but I will just say the next chapter, it presents like a very different style and narrative uh, than this first chapter, which I think is the really interesting thing about it. Each uh, person has a different way they go about approaching the story, and you can come to expect different things from each person. So you're going to get a completely different kind of tale in chapter two. <laughs> Literally, it's a, a different yes. book. <laughs> it's ludicrous, but brilliant. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's almost the same, it's a different story. Um, so the next time you'll hear us, we will be podcasting from June 2020, which means we will not have the hindsight of writing the whole book, but we will have the hindsight of writing the first 13 chapters. And we also won't have the hindsight of knowing we re-recorded this episode. So just bear in mind anything we reference here with the giggling, we probably won't ever reference again because this is the last episode we'll ever record. Weirdly enough. <laughs> we also need to tell you the upcoming crowbar contributions, the line and the phrase that are going to be in chapter two. So Yes, they're for my chapter. Huber's chapter, exactly. So I gave the phrase, which was singing fairy lights, and Veronica gave the line, Grab the saltines and prune juice at once. And I just remembered that that 
became real. Huber, like, well, Huber's not going to win this cycle for the crowbar contribution. And you can see why by tuning in next week. <laughs> hey, we don't know. <laughs> no, he's really not. Actually, yeah, we, we actually don't know because uh, did you mention that the viewers themselves or the listeners can vote yes. themselves? So if they want him yeah. to, yeah, if they want to vote Huber for crowbar contribution, they are more than welcome to do that. We live in a democracy. Well, I don't. I live in Hong Kong. But we, but you guys live in a democracy. Well, you don't. You live in America. <laughs> uh, well, the internet is kind of a democracy. So you can, you can vote for whether you think Huber actually did a really good job of the crowbar contribution. You could be wrong, but that's never stopped democracy before. (laughs) Exactly. Hey, we really encourage you to also check out our website. We spent a really long time on it. We met at a college newspaper where we spent 40 hours a week making or trying to make funny viral content. So it's a great release to be able to do that again with (laughs) Old Town. So definitely keep checking it out. We're going to post fun stuff every Wednesday. And then if inspiration strikes, we'll also post stuff throughout the week on other days so there's always going to be like a quiz or a game or a fun graphic coming up on a wednesday as well as our episodes every saturday so definitely check out artfatrejects.com it was fun doing this it was fun doing this this is our last episode that we're ever going to record well until season two don't discount season two yeah but you're gonna start it and it's gonna be shit and huber's gonna be like really stressed because he's gonna be an m2 and you know you know it's not gonna happen veronica i'm gonna be an m3 by the time we start season two. Oh my god <laughs> god we're gonna be old we're gonna be in a nursing home it took us three years to this one Huber's gonna be a proper like resident by the time we <laughs> okay thanks so much for listening i'm sophia i'm, I'm huber Oh. Oh my god. (laughs) I'm Veronica. I'm Hubert. And we are... Our friends! Rejects! Jesus Christ. That was okay, bad. Goodbye. I'm going to turn this off. Wait, I just need to also shout out thank you for our music. It's um, from the Free Music Archive by the Bubamara Brass Band, and it's called Bubamara. We have to do this because we support other artists, so they do our great theme music and everything else we create. So yay, thank you so much. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch, share your thoughts, or stalk us, you can find us at artfratrejects.com or on all sorts of social media with the handle at artfratrejects. If you can't get enough, make sure you listen to Case Files episodes too, where we delve into the plot, characters, and vote on the quality of our chapters. Stay safe out there.